Morgan, uh, my classmate and I are both members of the Gov 2.0 PIC here at the Kennedy School, which is a group of students that are interested in um, talking about, learning about and developing opportunities to interact with um, issues of technology in the government, technology and policy making. Uh, so last year when we held our own workshop with the PIC about how to use Twitter in a, in a policy setting, the Sherenstein Centre actually expressed an interest in running um, an entire series of these kinds of workshops. And so the digital, um, the digital media workshops that we're running this semester were born. So we're really pleased that it's taken off uh, this semester and we hope that we've continued really good attendance on these evening workshops that it will continue into next year and maybe even creep into the formal syllabus. So we're glad that you can come and we're glad that you're interested in supporting um, this kind of important uh, stuff. <laughs> so on that note, uh, it was interesting, I was um, doing a little bit of, I'm not a blogger myself, I have dabbled in blogging a little bit in different um, circumstances, but I'm not a regular blogger, so I was doing a little bit of research before I came here tonight and I noticed that um, the kind of Bible of authority for the Kennedy School, The Economist, declared in late 2008 that blogging had reached the mainstream. So obviously we're a little bit behind the curve to be learning about it now. But um, it's, I think it's an important tool for people in government and policy, but uh, also in all aspects of communication. Um, another thing that I noticed when I googled blogging was the first thing that came up wasn't Wikipedia, which is usually the first entry of any Google term. It was actually um, blogging tools. So instead of people wanting to learn what blogging is, people are actually wanting to do it, which is what Lisa's going to start to talk us through and walk us through tonight. So those of you with laptops, take them out. We're actually going to do some learning. Yeah, so that's doing. not rude. The more so, the merrier. Yeah. I actually need volunteers. Pop them on there. Pop them on the table. And there's a couple more spaces on the table if you need. That. So I guess without further ado, Lisa's going to um, talk through a bit of her background, but um, you, you'll have seen on the advertisement for today that she's the CEO and founder of Place Blogger, um, which I think she's going to talk a little bit about in a moment. Um, and I think the main things, uh, interesting things to know uh, about Lisa is that she has fantastic practical experience in building online communities. Um, working in online news type uh, context, citizen journalism, and in staffing and managing um, tech projects. So I think we can hopefully learn a lot from her experiences this evening. She's also said if you've got questions that come up throughout, please ju jump in and um, as I said, get your laptops out and let's get going. Hi guys. Hey Dren. My name is Lisa Williams and I run Place Blogger. It's the largest searchable index of local web logs. And I'm probably the only person in the history of history to actually get up in the morning and load the feed of like, you know, everything from like Canton, Ohio to there are two place blogs in Antarctica. <laughs> um, but every time I do it, it looks more and more like the incredibly not ready for prime time of AP only with way more cat pictures. <laughs> uh, we index about 7,000 such sites. I, I tend to think of it as the happy shadow version of this. This is a map of... Uh, Closed newspapers and layoffs in the United States last year. So, you know, we're kind of tracking where things are growing. Um, most of the time, I end up talking a lot about blogging to sort of mid career journalists. Can somebody kind of, I don't know who you guys are, can somebody kind of like summarize for me? You know, what, what's going on in this room? Who are you guys? What's, what program are you in? You know, what do you expect to do when you graduate? Well, there's a, there's a few MPPs in here, so we're sort of um, beginning, intermediate stages of our careers mm -hmm. with a variety of interests. I'm interested in government 2.0 stuff, but I don't know, who the other four is? I'm a law student. I'm about seven or eight mid-careers, but I don't think I'm, oh, one journalist? Um, mid-career journalist. There you go. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm a column, columnist. Oh, two, sorry. <laughs> uh, we're undergrads, uh -huh. interested. Mid-career, I was in the public you know, sector in the past. There you go. Uh, a lot of us have policy students, and I know with our class it was really popular to keep summer blogs mm -hmm. about our travels. Mm -hmm. How many of you have a blog, how to blog? Yeah, I'm just out of curiosity, how many of you spent, how many of you look at Facebook at least once a day? How many look at Twitter at least once a day? So much fewer. I have this theory that people are either Facebook people or Twitter people. I'm really sort of a Twitter person. So, you know, more, I'm more into that, but I think that's a really interesting phenomenon. 
So we have offices in Kendall Square, it's a place Florida World head Headquarters. Please come by and sample the free coffee. <laughs> and I'm also a fellow at the MIT Media Lab. Um, this is a great project that's gone out of the Media Lab that I had nothing to do with, but I, I like talking about it because I think it's such a great project. It's the One Laptop Per Child project. It was aimed to get rugged, low-power using laptops into the hands of children in the developing world. Um, and it had a really big impact. If you have a netbook, this is probably why. Um, and there I work on sort of the future of, I work on, I advise graduate students who are doing projects in either uh, new journalism or sort of the future of civic engagement kind of stuff. I love my stalkers. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, feel free to um, follow me on either of these services. Um, when I talk to a lot of people, um, you know, I end up talking to journalists a lot, and to me, blogging and having a startup are sort of really, really deeply intertwined. You know, and so, and the first question I get is, well, you know, wait, I don't want to be part of a startup. <laughs> you know, and I tell them, well, you know, look at the state of your industry. You know, not cool. So, you know, I think that for me, the interesting part about, you know, blogging and journalism is that I really do think that blog, that journalism will survive the death of its institutions. I have sort of a reason for this, which is um, I have a whole bunch of these. This is um, stock certificates for Digital Equipment Corporation, which used to be one of New England's major employers. Um, what's happening to the news industry once happened has happened before, and it happened to the technology industry in the late 80s, where we had a vast, simultaneous crack-up of all of our major institutions. There was wave after wave after wave of layoffs. Uh, and there just seemed to be no end in sight. People wrote, uh, wrote a lot of, you know, kind of hand-wringing, op-eds about how the government had to come in and bail us out or we wouldn't be, you know, sort of technological leaders anymore. Um, and given that it was the late 80s, a lot of people thought that, you know, Japan would be the next technological leader because they were in such a um, sort of big um, uh, era at the time. But that's not really what happened. You know, less than 10 years after that, you have the IPO of Google. It looks kind of silly in retrospect. What really happened was that we had far fewer, we had a, a restructuring of the industry. We had far fewer very large companies and a zillion really tiny ones. Um, and the way people's careers worked really changed. We didn't have um, hierarchical careers anymore. You know, I'm always um, really interested in the way, you know, people um, engaged in the public sphere or journalists kind of have this kind of hierarchical career path. They start out as a little weekly and try to work their way up to the New York Times. Nobody starts their, starts their life at a small software company and tries to work their way up to IBM. You know, it just doesn't work that way, but that's not what we do. We follow around the same set of ideas and people through different containers, and we don't really care what the container looks like that much. So, you know, and when I say that to people, they say, well, that doesn't sound like it has a dental plan. You know? And I say, well, you know, it, the thing is, when you're facing an iceberg, a kayak is really safer than a Titanic. You know, it's a self-propelled, cheap. And you can actually get a lot more done. A lot of the things that you use today, if you're looking at a website today, Almost everything that made that website possible, the stack, which is often called the lamp, um, almost everything that made that, that possible was built in a dorm room by like two people. You know, the individual parts of it. So it's you can have huge impact as a small organization now in a way that you couldn't before. So I think what a lot of people hear is this, but I kind of think this a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today. But I first want to address, you know, the sort of why bother. I think there, there's, an, there's an aspect at which, you know, I talk to people about blogging and they say, well, why would I do this, right? Um, you know, in terms, of, in terms of news and even in terms of sort of public attention, um, I think it's not enough to think about blogging or online news services or online communities as merely being a replacement for what we lost, if you like think back to the map that I showed you earlier. I think that's not enough. That's actually a failure of ambition. If you're just trying to um, catch up with what you lost, you don't have, you're not thinking big enough. Right? I actually think that we should start to think much bigger. You know, if you think about news, right, you know, news is stuck way down in this hole here, right, with very few sources and like sort of ADD on the timescale. Right? But increasingly, you know, our, our problems uh, are distributed and global. They happen over a long time scale. You have a lot of sources happening over a, lot of, a long time. 
you know, if you think about citizen journalism, that essentially ups the number of sources. That's a photo from um, the, you guys remember the time the plane crashed on the Hudson River? Um, all of the iconic photographs of that were taken with iPhones. There were literally thousands of sources. This, this picture appeared uh, on the front page of the New York Times. But when you think about, you know, things that newsrooms typically don't do well are things where you have lots and lots of potential sources happening over a very long period of time. Right? If you thought of the newsroom itself as a, as a piece of technology, what you'd have to say about it is that it has very low messaging capacity. There are only so many people you can, you can interview. Right? So like with, with global warming, what are you going to do? Interview every penguin? Right? So instead of um, taking a sort of vast data-oriented approach, newsrooms try to get around this. They try to, and the way, the typical way they get around this is telling stories via anecdote. Like with the foreclosure crisis, you might go out to a particular homeowner whose home is being foreclosed, you take some really heartrending photographs, you do an interview with them, you do some background interviews with policymakers and people at banks, etc. Um, and then that's that, right? This photo is from uh, a story done by the Washington Post on the treatment of veterans at uh, Walter Reed Army Hospital. Uh, Walter Reed Army Hospital. <coughs> Um, they won a very well-deserved Pulitzer for it. They had, I don't know, five or six reporters on it for close to six months. So it's one of the biggest, most powerful newsrooms in the world, and that's kind of what they can add to it. Um, but still, they can't really get to um, a large number of veterans. And the problem with telling stories by anecdote is that they always end up with scenes like this one, uh, where some weasel gets behind a podium and says, this is just an isolated incident. And what are you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. You know, in many ways, journalism, I think, is like antibiotics. The powerful become resistant to it. I don't, I, I'm not sure that Watergate, um, the Watergate coverage would have worked today. I think Nixon would still be in office. So we have to get better. We have to get up into the <coughs> upper right quadrant of that, of that diagram if we hope to have a healthy society. Why do you say that? That, that doesn't quite make sense to me. I think, if anything, the, something like Watergate would have had an even greater impact today because our patience when it comes to these sort of events and our trust in the politicians and the institutions are much more shallow. I think the Bush administration made me pretty cynical about that. I think that, you know, you could just throw facts at them all day long and they just say, tough, we're going to do what we're going to do. You know, I, my sense is that, that journalism actually has less impact on them. I don't, I don't, I don't really agree with them. I think there's more noise and less movement. But I, I think that's an American phenomenon. If you go to UK and you get BBC and Sky News, their journalism is very intense. When people get questioned, it's very intense. And people, the journalists, they know what they're talking about. And they question people, politicians, when they're wrong. In America, I find it's very dumbing down of information, news, and everything. And people don't get challenged in, enough. But I think that's a culture of the, of, of, of a wider culture and society we live in, rather than anything to do with the news media and the 24-hour news cycle and everything. And I think it was a product of 9-11 and what it allowed the politicians to do after that. Yeah, that's true. They could, they could sort of push back and just say, you know, national security, get out of my hair. Yeah. You know. So I think that um, if, you, if you want to keep that pressure on, to me the answer is to sort of turn a story into a signal. Right? And, you know, before, to give you an example of this, um, there are going to be upwards of 6,000 U.S. service personnel returning from Iraq and Afghanistan who, as a result of battlefield injuries, will be amputees. So I have a really simple question that's really hard for a conventional newsroom to answer, which is, how many of them have been issued a prosthesis? Right? It's, very, it's actually really hard to answer that question because it's a question from a lot of sources that happens over a long period of time. You know, and if you say, well, geez, it's impossible to do that. Well, it's not impossible. We do it all the time. It's, if it's possible for me to know the stock price of Apple every single minute of every day, why is it not possible for me to know that? And to know that about whether, uh, to know that about housing crises, the crises, and to know that about um, about climate change, it is possible if we actually try. So, in terms of starting a new site, I want to give you some practical stuff, though. I don't want to. I don't want to keep it at sort of like a theoretical <coughs> level. Um, how many of you? How many of you have thought about sort of starting starting your own site from scratch? So a few of you. Um, do you have sort of frustrations about that? Are there are there places where you get stuck? 
Maybe not the best question. But Here. Anybody who has anybody who anybody who uses a PC instead of a Mac, just to make it easier. Cool. <laughs> 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 well, then just any. I have PC, but I have no battery. Oh, that's okay. You can. You, uh, I'm gonna have you come up here and use this. You just go there. You just go there. You won't need it. You're just going to use that. Oh, that's okay. You're a great user. So I think I'm going to take you through the process of putting together an extremely basic Um, one of the great things about this is how easy it's become. Um, a lot of hosting providers now provide what are called one-click applications. So if you have a URL and you want to start a site, you know, just you know, Google you know one-click applications and look for a hosting provider that you like. I really like I really like this company called Media Temple. Right. And you know, once you get in there, it'll ask you what your domain name is. This is a domain that um, that I own and have hanging around. Could you click on on that? So scroll down a little bit. And see down here where it says one click applications. Now I primed this a little bit, um, but uh, for this particular host you can install WordPress, which is a common blogging application. You can install Drupal. Drupal is an interesting application because instead of Um, being intended to be hosted for one blog, it's a it's a system where you can have you can start a community site where a hundred people can have a blog, right? And people can sign up for their own accounts. I think for most people who can, I think you should stick with WordPress just because it's better and easier to use, and there are more developers on it. Um, a lot of these one-click application kind of stuff will also have um, ad servers, e-commerce stuff if you're selling T-shirts or something like that. See that arrow where it says finish? number one. Okay, so now you have your database all set up and the application is sitting on top of it and now you have exactly one user account. Bingo. That's how easy it is. You just set up a website. Woo! How long did that take? Maybe six minutes? Maybe three minutes? Four minutes? So if you go to demo.tomlinson.org, then somebody do that because you'll actually be seeing the front end of the site. Like you see where it says Shorenstein Demo Blog here? Could you click visit the site? That's cool. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, see how it says that red box there? That's actually kind of important. Go down. Yeah. Right here. Right here. No, it's okay. It's hard to make it right now. Yeah, take me to my profile page. The one thing you want to do is remember it, it gave us that long, hard to remember password. I don't remember what it is. So we better change it right away. So just click on that. So the first thing you do, if you don't, if you don't, you can't get back in. You'd have to start all over and sort of destroy the start and start again. Oh, three minutes more work. Um, so let's choose a new password there. Remember it says new password right here? Yeah, same. 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 Same.
that uh, if those of you who have laptops could actually log in, um, it's uh, the username is admin and the password is demo, D-E-M-O. Right, so you can get into the background. You can make yourself, you're an admin user, so you can um, delete everything, so don't. Um, uh, but you can also make yourself your own user account if you wanted to. Now, the first thing I would say about this is, wow, that's ugly. Right? So let's get it some new clothes. So why don't you hit the back button? Let's get a quick question. You, so I just went to the media template site. So do you have to, what do I, you have to buy the... That's true. Basic? You need a, that's, that's actually a really good question. Because remember I said, you know, start start a community, start a blog or a community site in an hour and 20 bucks. The 20 bucks is what it costs me to get a basic account at media template. Right? So when you, um, does anybody use Chrome? This is Chrome. Yeah. Anybody say yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother installed it. I think it's really great. So, if you log into your Media Temple account, you'd have all the domain names that you have on your server, right? Okay. So if you if you um, if you signed up for the service, this is what you'd see when you logged in, right? And in the background, I can't tell you. You know, I hate to be all, you know, we used to walk uphill five miles in the snow each way to school, but this is so much easier than even five years ago. A lot of what I used to do was, like, you know, telnet in and, and type scary Unix commands in a command prompt. This is so much nicer. You know, and you can see all the things you can do here. You can set up email, you know, you can put files up on your server, you can... You can make new users for your email system. You can have all sorts of logs. You can have databases, all this good stuff, right? But the main thing that, you know, for anybody who wants to start a site is, is this, right? <coughs> yeah, it's the one-click application um, install. You know, and you can add, as, you can add really as many as, you, as many as you have room for, right? So these guys have three. Um, those were the three I need. So a lot of people have more if you're interested in another, if you find another application that you're really interested in. But to go back to our site, okay, um, why don't you click on appearance? The first thing I like to do is give my site a wardrobe. Give it some clothes. It's like it's like Adam in the garden has many clothes. So click on add new themes. Okay. Up here, do a search for the word magazine. You're logged in. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, the one thing, the one thing that we don't have for this class that would be really useful if we did have is some is some uh, uh, sort of basic basic content. Um, but um, I think we can get along without that for now. Um, 
in, let's see. Now, now you see you also have a new menu thing. It says Magazine Basic, it's about your theme. Some things are more, are more sophisticated than others. So hit um, Layout. So if you're doing a news-like site, right, you can um, change the width of your site. Make it wider. And then let's have more sidebars. <coughs> And let's make the first sidebar bigger. Right, maybe we want to put photos in it. Scroll down a little bit. It gives you all sorts of things that you can do later. <coughs> what do we see? Maybe it's saving for us. <coughs> so, and this one is a fun um, aspect of this theme. See how it says image resizer down way down the bottom? Yeah. Just click on that. That's nice because every time we put up an image, you ever put up an image on a site and it's way too big, you know, it screws everything up? This auto resizes them for you. Hmm. That's a really nice feature. And uh, you know what? I think, <coughs> I think it just likes us. Now we need to tell it how many to have. So let's have that. Well, that's a good idea. You know, I should. It's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be too hard to write a how-to for this. It's a very good right? idea. But if um, if we had content now, we don't have a lot of content, so it's hard to see the fact that you added a whole bunch of. Uh, uh, you, well, you can see something, right? So just to show you, I did another site. another site that we were playing around with for a client um, that got some um, grant money um, to do blogging with journalism students. And the content is just scratch content. We were just um, doing demos with them to show them how to use it. Um, but you can see here, you know, when you scroll down, how nicely the columns put things together for you. <coughs> nice, clean-looking, professional look. If I want to uh, do some video things uh, on my web page, how can I? I'm sorry, can you repeat that one more time for me? Uh, if I want to do some video video piece on my, on my web page, how can I do it? Oh, sure. Let's see here. Let's just go to YouTube. You know, I actually use YouTube as my backend. You know, it used to be that when I had a video file, the video file was huge, right? It took a long time for everybody to download. And I had to think about having it in all these different formats depending on what device people were going to watch it, right? The nice thing about YouTube is you upload it and they worry about that. They have the YouTube player, and the YouTube player is in embeddable on other sites. It's hard to figure out what to pick here. <laughs> Go with the first one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. <laughs> so, I don't have sound. I don't have sound. So you're just going to have to... Uh, the 9-11 commission. All right. I can't... It's kind of, see this embed code right here? Right? If you have your own um, account on YouTube, what it lets you do is it has a place where you can upload something. Do you have like a, an account like with a photo sharing service or anything like that, like Flickr or? Yeah. It's the exact same thing, it's just that the upload takes a little longer. When you're done, it gives you a page like this that has that code that says embed, right? 
That's a little piece of, uh, of a, a scripting language called JavaScript, right? And what it does is when the page loads, it tells your browser, open up this window, <coughs> okay? So the nice thing is you don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore, and you can be pretty sure it'll play on virtually everybody's machine. So what we do is we click on that, copy it, let's go back to our site, things I think is kind of challenging about doing this kind of work is that there are some things you set up once in the beginning and you do them but you don't do them often enough to really master them or to remember how you did them the next time. So I know that I've set up a lot of sites to show video. Now I can't remember how. Let's see if this works. That's the steps. So you have to click. So that's important. You have to, uh, when you use this, when you use this you don't have to know HTML. Right? You can use bold and italic, and you don't have to know the HTML tags for those. On the other hand, if you give it a lot of script content, I guess it screws it up. Right? It tries to publish it kind of raw. Right? So now, oh, it's okay. You already saved our changes. I think this is, this is because this is an interesting. Why isn't it showing on the first page? This is actually an interesting answer. Um, you remember in the site that, let's see if I can bring that back up. No, it's not the right one. This one. In the site, notice how it doesn't show the whole, um, it doesn't show the whole thing. One of the things your style sheet can do is automatically shorten those things. Like we didn't tell it to only show that, right? It just knows to do that because it's part of the style sheet. So I think the style sheet for this particular uh, for, that we put in here wants to put those things, in other words, behind the fold. But if you look at the actual thing, it's there, right? So that might be a reason to choose a different theme, right? To go back to, we go back to <coughs> appearance. You might say that's not the theme for me. I'm going to search for a new theme and try that out. And you saw how easy it was to sort of put a new theme on something. So if you wanted, if you wanted a video-centric site, you know, if you post a lot of video, maybe this isn't the theme for you. In fact, I bet there are video-oriented themes. So here's a themes. Themes are oriented towards videographers. You choose one of those, and those might be sort of optimized or customized for you. Right, the magazine theme is really for a sort of magazine layout site. And uh, one more question. Yeah, please. If I want to put some podcast, podcast in on my webpage. This is a very good question because it'll actually lead us into the next thing. Um, the great thing about a lot of these, uh, a lot of these, is that there's tons and tons of little tiny software <coughs> add-on programs called plugins um, that you can add on. You know, so let's. Take a look at adding a new one and see if we can add a podcast plan. Hmm, <coughs> interesting. One of the now now my big problem is this is like which one do I choose? You know, there's almost always like 18 of everything that I want, right? You know, so um, you know, and, and I find the rating a little bit opaque. But let's just choose the first one. Just hit install. This is very much like doing the um, choosing a theme, right? Yeah. <coughs> now, yeah. See where it says activate plugin there? 
has one new plugin, okay. and it's all set, it's activated. The ones that are shaded gray are not active. Almost every um, uh, every, inst every install of, his, of uh, WordPress will come with a plugin called Akismet. It's, uh, it connects you to an anti-spam service, so one of the first things you do is to turn it on. <coughs> it'll stop, it'll stop, it'll help stop common spam for you, right? So now, this particular plugin has settings, right? So it talks about, you know, here's your, you know, tell us about your podcast. Here's your podcast stuff, right? It lets you put in all of this kind of stuff. <coughs> and it puts in a player for you, right? So it puts in a, an inline player so people can download the podcast and, you know, put it on, put it on a portable player or they can play it on your web page, right? Even lets you say how big the player is, you know, player width. That's in pixels, right? Mm -hmm. 290 is not that big. Um, has a video player with it too. That's kind of cool. So if you have a video, if you have, a, and it gives you tons and tons and tons of options, most of which you never have to touch. I would say the uh, probably the thing that you um, need to touch the most is uh, tell it where your podcast is, right? Unless you are posting the files yourself. Okay, if you uploaded the files to iTunes, you'd probably give it your iTunes URL, right? So that it would be able to bring stuff in from there. Um, WordPress already has some things built in under this media link. You actually have a media library, right? I really use third-party services like <coughs> Flickr and YouTube and iTunes a lot rather than doing it myself because I figure they're going to do it better than I do it, right? It's not worth it to me to host host files, essentially, to host video, audio, photos. Um, I get more out of using Flickr than I would out of pushing up my own files. Um, on the other hand, um, this gives you a nice, simple way to, like, let's say you do um, a package on one particular thing and you really want to keep um, images in one particular place. Let's say you're putting up a presentation, you have a lot of slides, right, a lot of charts and graphs. Um, you can put them up here and just sort of by, you know, hitting the Add New button it'll let you upload a file, right? It's really, really simple. Um, and once those files are there, you can put them in the post. Go ahead. Sorry, I have to No, no, please. More and more. You're asking a really good question. Suppose that I want to uh, set up a website for my class after graduation, and I want to have a video piece and a podcast piece and maybe slideshows. And uh, how can I do this? You can, do, you can do all of these things. Basically, what you have to do is choose an appropriate theme, yeah. right, that makes the elements look the way you want them to look, yeah. right? And then for each of those things, you might choose, uh, you might choose a different plugin, right? Yeah. Or you choose a third-party service. Like, I think for slideshows, um, Flickr has a wonderful slideshow player that's a lot like um, the YouTube player that I just showed you. So you'd make a group of photos. Right? And it gives you that little embed code, and then it would just show up on the page. Right? You mentioned hosting a couple of times. Could you just elaborate a bit on that? Sure. Um, <coughs> I think that, you know, in terms of hosting, um, you should find somebody you like and kind of stick with it. Um, the ones that I recommend the most are Media Temple, Slicehost, and Dreamhost. Um, they all have. Um, you know, very, you know, affordable packages. What's the other one? Media Temple Dream Host and Slice Host. <laughs> Slice Host is the most technical, um, and it's the least kind of <coughs> one-click oriented. Dream Host is the most like Media Temple. It has fewer features in that back end, but you can start at eight dollars a month, twenty dollars a month. And how do you feel about going down with that? Because that's mm, a no, 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 no. Okay, good to know. I think, you know, I actually register a lot of my domains, so when I want to buy a u new URL, okay, I buy the URL from them, um, but I don't host websites there, just because they make it really hard, right? They make it too hard, um, and they, they, um, they really lock down a lot of things that you would want to use as a site developer. You know, I think if you have want to have a few static pages, GoDaddy is great. Um, if you want to... Um, 
use an application and install a whole new site like on WordPress or Drupal, um, it just makes it too hard for you, right? And the, the, the options that they have I find really bewildering, right? But that brings up one other thing that I think we should, um, that I think we should cover, which is, let's say you have a domain name. How do you get a website to show up at that domain name? Like, it's really easy to go to WordPress.com and get, you know, your own thing, but it's like your blog name dot WordPress.com. Like, let's say you have your, you want to have your own URL, okay? You don't want to have blogspot or whatever like that. So, it's actually go to GoDaddy. like I keep accumulating URLs for things I don't do. I have like a ridiculous number of URLs for things I never did. And I also have my kids, I buy my kids names, right, to preserve those for the future. Like Tomlinson.org is my, is my uh, maiden name and I use it for family email. We don't actually have a, so I have 16 domains. Jeez. That's kind of sad. <laughs> I need a new hobby. Alright. So, but let's look at, um, Numbers usually, you know, three numbers, dot two numbers, dot four numbers, right? And um, I think the IP, and a lot of times, we, um, if you know the IP address of the server that you're on, um, you can actually just type in HTTP and the number, it'll go to the site, which is useful when you're developing a site before you actually have put the URL on it. But once you, what DNS does is it matches. Um, uh, plain um, language URLs with IP addresses. It says, this name goes with this IP address which is associated with this machine here, right? So what you want to do is do a uh, little domain management. Okay, so let's see, where's the domain management? Oops, sorry. Ah, DNS. So you see down here, This allows us to associate our URL with our stuff, okay? So see these things that say NS, right? Those are name servers, right? And your, ho your host will give you a pair of these, right? So with media template might be ns.mediatemple.ns1.mediatemple.net and ns2.mediatemple.net. They might have a lot of them, right? And what you do is when you edit this record, I won't um, because we don't need to, but we could edit this record and we would just put in whatever your host does, right? You save the record and you're done, you get out of there, right? DNS actually um, uh, sort of percolates through the internet, right? Like how does the rest of the internet know that you've now associated these two things, right? Well, servers on the internet now have um, sort of host tables, lookup tables, right? And it takes a while for those to update. So they, they often say 24 to 48 hours. I noticed that that time has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. Like I often get a URL mapped to a site within a few hours, right? So now the, when I type the URL, it works, right? It actually goes to the site that I want it to go to. Okay. So that's, that's in general how I do it. A lot of hosts will let you buy the URL with your hosting account. Media Temple actually does this, and a lot of them discount it. Like um, buying a .com domain at GoDaddy is about 10 bucks, but you can get it, and, you, and it's annual. Okay, you have to re-register your domain every year. Um, uh, and at Media Temple, it's only five bucks, right? And then you don't have to do any of this because the, your name servers and your host are the same thing, right? So you don't have to do that. This is if you already have bought a domain from somebody else, right? Anybody you've bought a domain from will let you change the DNS records. That's what you actually want to do. So if you're not at GoDaddy, 
you look around for where do I put the DNS records, and your host will give you something like that, ns7.placeblogger.com, right, they'll give you something with their, um, uh, with their URL on it, for their name servers. And you just put those two in, you save it, and you're done. Please. You know when you went to that list of plugins and you said, what do I do? How do I know which one to pick? And it had, I think they had star ratings or something. I was wondering, is there, is there a discussion board associated with WordPress or a community that you use to just say, I want my plugin to do this, can you recommend one? There's the WordPress codex, okay? But the, the frustrating thing is that there really isn't. Right. You know, my, um, my main, um, you know, like let's say we wanted to have a ratings plugin, we wanted people to be able to rate our post. Okay, now there's literally, you know, probably hundreds of these, right? And they're all kind of confusing, you know. Um, what I do is I install them, I try them. If I don't like them, I trash them, right? The one thing you need to know is that this is the most common thing you will do that will crash your site, is that the, the plugins are written by a host of volunteers. There's no quality control whatsoever, right? None, right? And a lot of times what you'll find, like, this might actually be tested, right? Warning, this plugin has not been tested with the current version of WordPress. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? And you'll get that basically all the time, right? And so, um, Sometimes what will happen is you will install a plugin and you will get the white screen of death. Your, 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 your site will be gone and that will be very sad. So um, I want to give you an emergency recovery tip. First of all, the very first thing that you should install two things right away. You should um, activate, let's look at the installed list here. You should activate the uh, anti-spam plugin. Okay, because that's actually a security thing. Spammers can get in and kind of screw up your site just by, you know, hacking into the comment system. And um, get a backup plugin. Right? There are lots of plugins to do backups. There are several good ones. Just pick one. They're 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 pretty safe and easy. Right? People who make black backup plugins generally test a lot. You know, it's kind of, kind of part of their thing. Um, but let's say that you try something and something goes terribly, terribly wrong. Right? Well, you go back to your uh, go back to this and look at file manager. Or you should have something that will let you look at the files on your server. Right? So on the other end of this, there's an actual physical piece of hardware that's running Unix. And this is the file tree on it. Right? So sometimes you have to kind of like, you know, just kind of spelunk around a little bit, you know, until you find where your stuff is. Oh. Well, that looks kind of promising, right? Aha. <coughs> uh -huh. Right. <coughs> so, all of your, um, here's your WordPress <coughs> installation. You, know, you can tell because it has WP on it, right? So, if you have a, um, a plugin and it screws up, navigate until you can find WP content. <coughs> and there's your plugins folder. And there's all of the, the folders for our plugins, right? One of the things you can do is just delete them, right? Sometimes it doesn't have a little delete symbol, and that's because it wants you to delete the files that are inside before it deletes a folder. It's kind of a sexy thing. It wants you to it, it uh, wants to take away the possibility of you doing something catastrophic to your site. So it it's kind of um, time consuming, but you can get rid of all of this stuff. Get rid of it all, and then just launch your site again. Usually it's fine, right? So, but that's also like if you if you're having a day where you're like, you know, I don't know, you're snowed in or something, and you want to fool around with your website, and you put in eight million plugins back up first, right, um, and then play around with the eight, eight million plugins, because if you if you crash the site, um, and then you have to trash this, it might it, there's a potential that you might actually destroy some data or corrupt the database, and if you're not backed up, that's going to be pretty sad. Uh, let me know about this is I don't know, it's not exactly on the website creation, but at the beginning of the session you said blogging and startups are intertwined. Yes. So I was just wondering if there's sort of concrete recommendations that you give your clients or things to think about um, related to that that we could take away. Indeed I do.
So, I think for for you guys, the thing I would say is, you know, there are a few things that I always say to everybody about having a startup, right? Which is, first of all, you start out with this huge blank page. A lot of people, when they say, well, you know, what are you going to start a website about? The most common answer is, you know, I don't know. You know, you have this enormous blank page. So the nice thing is to sort of carve out a lot of the potential possibilities down to a few. Okay. So I often think about, you know, I, I think of these as learning opportunities, right? In which case, I want to be in control of it myself, right? So I think of an idea and I say, is this something I could do under my own steam for a while? Is this something I could do myself? And now you guys can like, oh, I could start a website. I don't need anybody's help to do that, right? Um, you know, I've got 20 bucks. I'm the venture capitalist, right? <laughs> Stay away from those guys. <laughs> um, yeah. I like my firstborn. Um, so, the uh, uh, once you've got that, and then you say, well, what's the content, or what community do I have to build? And is that something that, say, I would be willing to commit my spare time to over, like, say, six months or a year? And it, is there a reasonable chance that if I did that, um, that what I would have at the end is something of value, or that I would have learned a lot? Then you have, then you have sort of the right idea, right? This is the other thing. I, I, this, this is, I, we now have like real offices, but for a very long time my office was an unheated enclosed porch off of my house, right? And so in February I used to work on a hack, right? And I keep learning the same lessons again and again and again, right? And when I would have one of these, I have all of these things over my desk, either with post-it notes or giant pieces of tape, and I write on them. <laughs> So that I don't have to. That I don't forget. And this is this is one that I have to relearn a lot. Don't do anything for free that you wouldn't do for free indefinitely. So if you think of, if you get an idea that you can do under your own power, and that you think has value, right? But you don't <coughs> love it enough that you wouldn't do it for free indefinitely. That's the wrong startup idea. Pick something else, right? It's actually really important that you like it a lot because if you're going to make the leap, right? Um, you have to remember that you know. The problem with a startup is it is kind of like one long existential crisis. You know, when you have a job, you have this kind of like existential warm fuzzy blanket of, you know, if somebody gives you something stupid to do, you say, I think this is stupid, but my boss told me to do it. If you have a startup, you say, I think this is stupid, but oops, <laughs> I told me to do it, right? And that's the thing about having a startup is you're going to be bad at it, right? You have to, you have to like it enough to be willing to be bad at it. I'm really bad at having a startup. You know, I, I, I have survived so many calamities of my own making. You know, it's just, it's, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't do any of these things because I was good at them. And I'm still not good at them, right? And I think that's, that's actually a very difficult thing to face about having a startup, <coughs> is that, you know, if you're used <coughs> to being good at things, if you were good in school, if you were a high achiever, it's really hard to get up in the, in the morning and face a day where you're going to do a lot of things that you're not good at. So you really, really have to care about the thing involved, and you have to be able to sort of let go of that desire to sort of have mastery of everything right away. This is, um, this is a National Historic Site. You know like <coughs> the garage that everybody is founding startups in, right? This is the garage that Hewlett Packard was started in in 1939. Right? It's, an actual his it's actually on the historic register. You can go visit, right? And um, here's, here, and, and you know, like this was my original office. This is that back porch, right? You know, so a lot of times, you know, they're really kind of humble. The other thing that you have to um, face about having a startup is that most people, especially your family, won't respect you. You're gonna have to, you gotta wonder, like in 1939, what did Hewlett and Packard, they were both married and had kids, what did Hewlett and Packard's in laws think about them, you know? <laughs> Oh yeah, right? A startup is really glamorous when you start to make money, right? But the other thing to recognize is that um, I don't think that a startup is, or a company at all, is sort of the pinnacle of evolution, actually. I think that the most adaptive form to put your ideas is, is not a company. Companies are very fragile, right? You know? So, you know, projects are much better. Have a, don't have a company. Don't have a startup. Have a project. Projects are awesome. And if projects want to become companies, they'll tell you, right? If you keep going and then people start wanting to give you money, and people want to start coming to work for you, then you have a startup, right? Until then, don't worry about it, right? Don't worry about it at all, you know? Never start a company when you can start a revolution. So much better, 
right? <laughs> Revolutions don't need office furniture. It's awesome, right? So the other thing about starting a site is the web really rewards what I call narrow comprehensiveness, everything about something, right? I think that the reason that Amazon won out over Barnes & Noble in the sort of the online bookselling race in the US was um, uh, that they actually did a crazy thing in the beginning that everybody thought was bananas, which is they, they committed to selling every book in print, right? And they actually made um, distribution deals with the, uh, with the original publishers to drop ship from the publisher, right? And everybody thought, that's crazy, that's way too expensive, right? But that kind of comprehensiveness means something. So again, when you think about what can I do um, on my own and what can I do that when I have the end of it, I'll have a complete set of something, right? First of all, search engines really reward that and people start to treat you as a reference. So a site with a few restaurants in Denver is interesting. A site with all the restaurants in Denver is usually. Right? Okay. So when you think about the thing that you want to do, think about what you want to become the authority on. And what do you want to have comprehensive coverage on? Right? The other thing is, is that, that the web kind of turns how news organizations work on their head. You know, a lot of news organizations are about adding value to something. They go to something free, like attendance at a public, at a public meeting, generally you don't have to pay to get in, right? And they, they save time for you, they add editorial value, they summarize that experience and then giving it to you. They're adding editorial value, right? Um, a lot of things on the internet take things that used to be very expensive and make them free, right? So, you know, when you have your idea, you say, well, what is it, what is it that I'm making cheaper or free, right, that wasn't there before? I think that's all my words about startups, because I wouldn't have put that slide there if it wasn't. <laughs> Do you guys have more questions about sort of like how to start a site? That's my absolutely positively most basic way to start a site for everybody. By the way, you are a great uh, demo volunteer. Thank you so much. <laughs> I have a question. things on your blog, right? 
So if you don't have a full text feed, right, presumably they'll click through um, from that. And, uh, and also, if they become a fan, they'll be notified every time it comes so that you don't have to go through that process of always pinging them about it, right? And you can do that by pushing things through to Twitter and having people follow you on Twitter. And you can also do sort of email newsletters. There's like, you might have like an email newsletter plugin. And again, you know, one of the things you do on your side of the website is to look for plugins that do that for you. <laughs> so could you just, in that example then, has some, have you now subs subscribed to that? No, we're just looking at it, okay. right? Um, really, I, I'm using an account on this machine that was nice and clean, so that um, I do a lot of crazy things with my machine, and I didn't want it to crash while I was doing it, so I don't actually have an RSS reader on on this on this account. But for instance, like if you had, does anybody have a Google Reader account? Right? Google has a very nice RSS reader called Google Reader. Um, and if you had a Google Reader account, what you would do is find this subscribe link or the RSS link, you'd give it to your Google Reader account. And then instead of having to check all these sites and see if they have anything new, you just check into your Google Reader account and you see what's new. Right? Do you have a question? Yeah. Uh, traditional media, they have uh, an editor to bring, bring the colonists and the reporters and something uh, lucky. Right. And if I want to set up a website, and I don't want to do all the things by myself, because I know a lot of uh, like very uh, good photographer and very good writer, I wouldn't do these brings. kind of things by themselves, but uh, on the same platform. So how can I make it work? See this click called Authors and Users, right? One of the things you can do is add a new user. Now the admin account is very powerful. You can add plugins. You can even delete the whole site, right? But what if you wanted somebody who was just a photographer, just you know, uh, just a writer, right? Um, you can uh, make a new user, um, make a new user account for them, and if you have their email, it will automatically be sent to them. And you have roles, okay? So that person might be an author or a contributor. They might be an editor, and that means that they can see everybody's posts when they log in. The admin can see everybody's posts, edit everybody's posts, delete or make visible or invisible other people's posts, right? Um, somebody who's an author or contributor can only see their own posts and edit their own posts, right? But they can probably publish, right? So um, if you wanted to even deputize somebody else to help you edit, you would make another editor, right? And each of those people have different levels of what are called permissions on the site. They have different permissions to do things. So you could have lots of potential contributors to this. Um, so I don't know if this is naive at all, but are there, if you wanted to open up the blog or the site only to a certain group of people, is that possible? Or once it's out there, is it just out there for everyone? No, you can, you, you can um, see how it says up, up uh, where does it say? Um, users can't register themselves, but you can manually create users, right? That means that um, anybody who wants to post a new blog entry on your site has to go through you. Meaning in terms of readers. In terms of readers. So um, once it's out there, it's pub totally public. The way it is now, yes. Um, you can password protect individual posts. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that there is um, a plugin that lets you make a private site so that what you see when you first come in there um, is a, a login <coughs> screen. Right? So you can make. Um, a group blog just for the people in that group if you want to, and a lot of people do that. That's actually not naive at all. A lot of people actually use these as sort of like um, group organizers. Okay. I think we kind of ran through everything. Just one request. Yes, please! <laughs> From the beginning, and I was requesting if there is step by step, and if you can share that you know, through the email, you know, that would be fantastic. Let me ask you a question. Would you prefer text and written? Or one of the things that I do a lot is, this is really fun, I'll show this to you. Um, is a screencast. I can make video of what appears on my computer screen as I do it with a, a voiceover from me. Um, let me see, you know, if, uh, I, I guess they don't really have a, 
an example here, but if you went to YouTube and searched screencast, a lot of what you find is instructions for how to use a piece of software or how to use a website. Um, but sometimes I actually prefer the written instructions because I want to go at my own pace, right? So um, on the other hand, sometimes the screencast is nice because instead of it's sometimes difficult to translate the written instructions to what you're actually seeing on the screen. So I don't know which one would be superior in this. Um, in this particular way, what, what do you, let's take a vote. Screencast? Yeah. Text? Book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are a tough master. <laughs> if, it, if it's a screencast, you can stop it. Yeah. You can pause it. So you can rewind it. Yeah, it's not like right. you missed the board. And well, first yeah. thing to say is that the video, there's been a video taken of tonight. So you can go back, it's going to go onto the Shorenstein Center web. Page. So you can actually go back after it's been uploaded and replay slowly the parts that we've been through tonight. Mm -hmm. So that takes some of the work out of it, and perhaps that makes you don't need to do. <laughs> well, you know, if I we went through it piece by piece and stopped, right, and that's why it took so long. You know, if I was just sitting alone in a room, yeah, how yeah. long do you guys really think that would have taken? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. 